This episode is packed full of everything you need for the preconception or prior to pregnancy season. We talk about it all from the moment you decide to get off birth control all the way to the time you are actually trying to conceive. We share practical tips on setting your body up for success using nutrition and sleep, removing toxins, practicing stress management, the healing power of nature, and we even talk about your partner's role. You may want to grab a pen and paper for this one. Welcome to Healthy as a Mother, the podcast for becoming and being a mother with your co-hosts, Dr. Leah Gordon and Dr. Morgan McDermott, two naturopathic doctors who get it. Each week, we teach you how to be the healthiest mother you can be, from fertility and preconception to pregnancy and birth prep, through postpartum and throughout motherhood, empowering you with the natural health guidance and education you're not getting elsewhere so you can confidently navigate the broken system at large. The real, the raw, the untalked about. Okay, let's get started on our topic for today, which is preconception, my favorite topic. <laughs> I like it too. It's a good one. I think that it, that's, it's the gateway drug to this whole thing is like learning about how important it is to take care of your body before you be- become pregnant. And then it all just opens up from there. Yeah. So we're going to be talking about a lot of things during this episode. So if you want to take notes, have your pen and paper or your phone, whatever you take notes on ready, we're going to be talking a little bit about why preconception, what is preconception to begin with? Why is, why is it important? And what are some of the main areas that we want to focus on and some tips that you can move forward in your life when you are thinking about preparing for a baby, whether it's your first baby or subsequent babies. Mm, And that's a really good thing to know is that a lot of people will prep for their first baby and then they don't anymore. And I think that as MDs, we want to stress that it is just as important, if not more important to prep for those subsequent children as well, because your body has already gone through huge transitions and changes. And now more than ever, it may need more support with the nutrition specifically as well as thinking about, or just even some of those like base life things like your circadian rhythm and way, which we'll get to, but yeah, just a special note that just because you've done it once doesn't mean you're done. You can do it each time before each baby. Yeah. Perfect. So I guess we'll start with what preconception even is for those who don't know. And the term is self-explanatory. It's the prep before conception or preconception. And typically when you think about it from an egg and sperm perspective, we're looking at about three months minimum before conception because the egg and the sperm take about three months from their maturation process to full development right before you, you involve both of them in a conception process, which is how you make a baby. However, the health changes really could start way sooner than three months. And we are big advocates of that as soon as you will have even a glimmer in your mind that you want to become pregnant, you're in the preconception phase. And it's something that you should be mindful of and potentially working toward, but for sure, definitely the three months before conception should be very important, but I love at least six to 12 months or more. What do you think? Yeah, I was going to say, I think in that six, six to nine months is probably more realistic for the go-getters out there, the 12 months. We're also being cognizant of the fact that many women might be coming off of birth control and Mm -hmm. simply that process of coming off of birth control and re-getting a regular cycle can take up to a year as well, depending on things, how things are going. And so some people are really shocked and surprised by that. And I know that's more your specialty as well. So I'm sure that you've seen that time and time again, but just even 
the idea of making some of these slow changes because nobody's a hundred percent compliant. We've all had those patients in the past that they do tend to be perfectly compliant, but a lot of stuff takes time to make these shifts or replace products or begin to add these different nutrients back into your diet or in a more health conscious way. And so we like to give more time also for this stance of just making these changes and making them a lifelong thing and not just a, a diet phase or something like that. Yeah, no. And this is one of my biggest passions because I feel if we can get to women before they have babies and teach them how to live healthier lives, how to eat in a way that's nourishing, how to sleep and prioritize joy and laughter and how to have healthy relationships, healthy self-talk, all of these things that will not only impact them, but will completely impact their future children and will become models for their children as they grow up. And the epigenetic shifts, which are epigenetics are basically how your genes express based on the environment that they're bathed in. So for instance, if you are exposed to a bunch of processed and packaged food or chemicals or stress, you'll have different shifts into your genetic code that can be passed on to your baby. And so this is how lifestyle medicine can actually change health outcomes through epigenetic shifts. And so really, if we talk about a scientific basis for what we are discussing with preconception, it's epigenetics, as well as creating healthy habits that then move you forward through pregnancy and motherhood. And there's definitely people who can make shifts and changes during pregnancy or motherhood. But if you can do it soon before you become pregnant, it's only going to benefit you and your family and your community. So I'm really excited to dive in. And I will also say that having a very solid, healthy preconception and pregnancy period is not only helpful for the health of your baby, but the way that you will feel and thrive as a new postpartum mom and into that first year with a baby and hopefully breastfeeding or being able to. And I wonder how much of the quote unquote low supply that so many women are experiencing comes from just a lack of overall depletion going into the whole process and just having a, even sometimes people who do eat pretty well, we have to be cognizant and considering of the facts that the topsoil is not the same anymore. Like we have to really try in this toxic soup of world that we live in to give our bodies the things that we need without it getting too heady. You love to be the, just like the nature-based fairy and be like, it's all going to work out and it's all going to be fine, but it's true. Like we really do need to be thinking about this and making a concerted effort towards it. And so Mm -hmm. if not for the health of your baby, which most people do find motivation in that way for the health of you and the way that you feel and your propensity to have postpartum anxiety and depression is lower when you've done a really healthy, when you've taken care of yourself properly and all sorts of different things. So it's full spectrum. It's a very important thing. And it's prepping your garden. Like sometimes you're picking out weeds. Sometimes you're planting new seeds. So there's a taking in, there's a removal process of the bad things. There's a putting in of the good things. So why don't we jump in and let's talk about some of the top ways and areas that we like to cover as naturopathic doctors who are looking at this in an integrative way. What are the things that we like to be talking about and discussing with women and educating them. Yeah, no, I love the garden analogy. I think that's so perfect. And I use both the garden analogy and I think of fertility, but this preconception conversation also applies as a battery. And we have optimal fertility when we have a fully charged battery that is a surplus. 
And if we have a drained battery where we're depleted, we just don't have the vitality or the ability for us to really have a healthy fertility, conception, pregnancy, all of that. So we think about the things that nourish our soil or the things that charge our battery. And the first and foremost one is food, right? We always start with food as the foundation always. And this is the basis of the nourishment that we bring into our body that not only gives ourselves energy and calories, but it's all of the micronutrients and macronutrients, the vitamins, the minerals, the proteins, the fats that build our bodies, that will build our baby's bodies, but also are all of the specific cogs and all of the wheels that make everything work. So the analogy that I like to use is an alphabet. We have 26 letters in the English language and every one of those letters combined together makes up our entire language. But if we're deficient in just a few letters like A, D, L, and P, our written language is not gonna make any sense. And the same goes with the body. If we are deficient in a key nutrient like zinc or vitamin D, or omega-3 fats. If we don't have those in our diet at a certain time when we are trying to become pregnant and or growing a baby, then there's gonna be a big missing piece to either our baby's health or our health. And so it's important that our food lays the foundation. And my approach to food is always whole food based as much as possible, meaning things that come from the earth that you can grab out of a the ground, pick off a tree or something that eats what comes from the earth. It's not made in a lab packaged or processed with a ton of ingredients that you don't recognize. What about you? Yeah, hundred percent. I think some of the ones to focus on. So if we're thinking in like a animal products based meat based, which I know there's certain people are all different. We all have different biochemical makeups. Some people do really well on vegan vegetarian diets. Some people don't. I would venture to say that probably most people getting pregnant in from a completely health perspective, I would like them to be eating meat-based products or animal-based products. What I'm thinking of specifically is like the choline in eggs or which choline is also found in some prenatals, like the needed prenatal, which is really good because it's absent in so many and that, but it's also such a bioavailable form or grass-fed pastured meats. So pastured chicken who get to eat the bugs and the seeds or the cow that gets to eat the grass, their bodies and the, the products that their bodies make, whether it's the meat, the eggs, the milk, etc., <clears throat> the liver, the organ meats, everything is going to be of the, a like optimal nutrition value. When those same animals are eating corn and soy in a huge feedlot or are kept in cages in a Tyson chicken facility and are eating like little pellets, that's not going to be the same thing. Choosing very high quality animal-based products is far superior to just eating some kind of meat at some point, wouldn't you say? Yes, absolutely. It's all, for me, food is all about quality. And this goes across the board from vegetables all the way to meat, but it's most important with meat products. And I agree that Although some people find benefit for themselves at different times or seasons, eating primarily plants and plants are important, especially in the preconception phase for antioxidants. So a lot of deeply colored fruits and vegetables, the berries, anything that just has a vibrant color is full of phytochemicals that are antioxidants, which help to protect egg and sperm health and optimize the embryo quality. But from a nutritional deep nourishment perspective, I do 
fall into the camp that really good quality animal products are very helpful in the fertility journey. Yes. And so in addition to grass-fed beef and eggs and things like that, fish is another great source. So a lot of the studies on fertility in particular have looked at the Mediterranean diet and really the Mediterranean diet is mostly whole food based with fish. It does have a lot more grains than I'm a huge proponent of, even though I'm not a fan of low carb. When you're preparing for pregnancy, you need those healthy carbohydrates. But in particular, when it comes to fish, there are super healthy fish that have high omega-3s and are low in mercury and other toxins. And so the acronym that we like to use is called SMASH. It stands for salmon, mackerel, anchovies, sardines, and herring. These are the best fish that you can bring into your eating routine, like I said, that are high in good quality fats and low in the toxins that we don't want to be exposed to. Things like tuna, swordfish, shark, these are the types of fish that aren't as great in the preconception time because they're high in mercury and other heavy metals. Yeah, absolutely. And along with all of this meat is the nutrient dense starchy vegetables like the squashes, the sweet potatoes, and then the brassica vegetables. Brassica vegetables are excellent in preconception specifically for helping clear out and detox estrogens and provide other micronutrients. So that's like Brussels sprouts, Romanesco, broccoli, cauliflower. So we're not saying don't eat plants, obviously Mm -hmm. huge plant people. And then the berries thinking about the most nutrient dense foods that exist on the planet. So the dark berries and of course other fruits as well. But then one thing that I want to add that I think is so interesting is the way that certain tribal communities around the planet today and lots of ancient cultures that we can, what of what we know have given newly married or new couples, very specific diets before they conceive. One that I'm thinking of specifically gives the new married couple, the milk from the cows that eat the the new fresh grass in the spring, and that they need to at least drink that for one year before like it's culturally acceptable in this particular culture to conceive a baby because they know, and this kind of goes back to that Weston A. Price idea as well. Weston A. Price was a dentist in the early 19th century who talked about our 1900s, who talks, who noticed the indigenous tribes had perfect teeth and dentition and they didn't have cavities and they had enough room in their mouths for all their teeth and they didn't have to have their wisdom teeth removed. What in the world? Why in this modern society are our teeth super messed up? We have to have our cavities filled or they rot in our heads. This is, doesn't seem right. And what he traced it all back to is these nutritional stand, nutritional effects through epigenet, epigenetics and multiple generations that allowed for with the fat soluble vitamins specifically a d e and k that allowed for these nice broad faces with low broad palates to accommodate for all of the teeth what effect that has then on the sinuses the shape of the sinuses breathing ability to nurse and move food around in your mouth and not being lip and tongue tied not having these long narrow faces and crushed sinuses and mouth breathing and long face syndrome and sleep apnea and all the modern things that we have nowadays. There's a really mm-hmm. good book as a resource that I'd like to plug in here called Breath by James Nestor that discusses all of this. And again, this is all on a nutritional base. So when we are making our babies, we're thinking about building a house. You want to build your house with the highest quality materials that you can. Mm-hmm. You could build a very quick track home and just put it up really fast, mm-hmm. but 
it may disintegrate in a couple of years or it may have issues. You're going to be constantly patching things versus if you built it with a very good, you build it slow and well, and it takes more effort, certainly with good materials, then you're going to have like much long lasting, longer lasting foundation and base. And I think as parents, we always want that. Yeah. Oh, that's so good. I love that. I love that stuff. And those are great resources. I haven't read that book, but I would love to. I'll add it to my very long list of books that I'm trying to read right now. (laughs) Okay, great. So we talked about diet. I think that's really a great topic. So the next thing we want to talk about is sleep and our circadian rhythm, which is basically the rhythm that rules our wake and sleep cycles. And when we talk about your fertility or your preconception time as a battery and charging that up, it's not just about energy. It's just about you and your whole essence of feeling fully charged, but sleep is a huge part of that and a foundation. And the biggest thing is to get on a really good rhythm. Our bodies like rhythm. They like routine. Nature loves rhythm and routine. For the most part, most places go through the four seasons or they have their own cyclical nature. Night and day always come. Like it's never sporadic and random where the moon and the sun are just like doing whatever they want whenever they want. There's just this natural rhythm and flow to nature and our bodies are designed to follow that flow. And the more that we can live within the rhythms of nature, the more we are rewarded with positive hormonal balance, positive fertility, mood issues that are good, feeling joyful and happy and energetic. The more that we deviate from those natural rhythms of nature, the more that we pay the price in having issues, not only in how we feel our energy, our mood, but also in our ability to conceive and have a healthy pregnancy. The foundation really is really focusing and prioritizing sleep. And I know a lot of people know that they should sleep, but what is actually practiced is different. And the hours before midnight actually have much more regenerative sleep than hours after. So instead of staying up late, watching stressful shows or (laughs) binge watching on Netflix, which raises your cortisol, which is the opposite hormone that you want to go to sleep, which is melatonin, I really highly recommend stopping that at least an hour before bed and trying to get to bed as soon as you can in those hours. And instead having a earlier to bed, earlier to rise type of situation rather than a later to bed, later to rise to try to get those seven to nine hours in. Do you have anything else to add? I love that you said rewarded when you're living within the rhythms of nature that you are more, you're rewarded by the natural inherent innate health that we are all meant to have. We just have gotten into this way as modern humans deviated so far away from the natural everything. And so we're like, what is this? Why are we all unhealthy? And it's not that complicated. It's difficult to execute, but it's not that complicated. Everything just reverts back to nature pretty much. So yeah, this seems like a very basic one. It's a very easily manipulated one as well, like you're saying, and a lot of people don't (laughs) do what they should with this, Um, but it will serve you. You will feel more rested. Your adrenal glands will be so happy later on when you have a newborn that you have some reserve. And again, that battery analogy of a good long period of time prior to this newborn being born that you've gotten very good restful sleep. So that brings us to the next. Oh, and another thing about sleep and helping your body become more of like a morning riser is we've now recently learned a lot of the benefits. Thanks to people like Andrew Huberman and studies. It's so silly because we feel like we need to have a study in order to explain anything good about nature, but is that the morning sun, seeing the morning sun in your eyes unfiltered 
not behind a window, not behind your glasses, not underneath your contacts, your unfiltered eyes. Seeing the morning sun helps set your melatonin for the day more than any other factor. And all of your other, and your melatonin is produced where? In your pituitary gland with a bunch of other really important hormones. So this is all part of the hormonal system. And especially if you're struggling with any kind of a hormone based fertility issue prior to this, then this is going to be an absolute key for you. So that one, and then going on to some of the other, while we're on nature, let's just go back to let's, before we talk about laughter and joy, let's stay on this theme of nature. We are natural doctors. It all is nature based, but I think that we just need to recognize how much of energetic beings that we are and pregnancy becoming pregnant is receiving. It is an inherently feminine energetic state. It's the yin versus the yang. Yang is the male masculine giving energy. Yin is the female flowy feminine receiving energy. And there's so much to be received by nature, like literally sitting underneath a tree and just looking around and not being on our phones. And we don't do that as adults. We do that as kids. We don't really do it as an adult. And it's such a nice thing to do as an adult. And sometimes our minds can drive us a little bit crazy. It's like that quote, if you can't meditate for 10 minutes each day, then you need to meditate for an hour or whatever. (laughs) And just grounding back physically into the earth, shoes off, feet in the grass, remembering where we've come from and connecting to this process of nature that your womb is going to intake and create a baby without you thinking about it. We don't have to think about it's ear day. Okay. It's spleen day. Like we don't have to do that. It's amazing. It's inherent in us. And I think that there's just a mental, emotional, spiritual sort of benefit, whether or not we're ever going to be able to study this. I don't think so. And I don't think we need to, but I, I think you would agree. And most people would inherently hear this information. It's going to resonate deeply anyways, because it just makes sense to go and become a part of nature more in this time period in becoming pregnant, trying to become pregnant and in pregnancy in general. Mm -hmm. I felt very connected to earth while I was pregnant specifically. What about you? Yeah, no, I think the connection to earth is so important. And again, another thing people are like, oh yeah, no, be outside, but like really doing it. And from a scientific perspective, if you want that rationale, there is one in that basically there's so many different elements and aspects. And I agree with you that we don't have to, we don't have to study this to know how important it is. And I think many things that aren't given as recommendations because there's not some double blind placebo controlled trial is really not helping anybody. It's really hurting us. However, there are a lot of really awesome, cool studies on nature and its impact and effect on our healing abilities and on our hormones and all of this and grounding in particular, which means actually touching the earth barefoot with your body, sitting on it, whatever we build up positive ions in our body. And if you know anything about chemistry, there's negative and positive ions And for the same reason why we have ground in our house, we have to have a grounding wire in case your refrigerator goes on the fritz and it needs to put some of its electrical energy somewhere. We have grounding wires in all of our electrical outlets. And that's because the earth is a hugely negative ionic mass and it can take all of that positive charge and disperse it without anyone getting electrically fried. And as humans, we build up positive charge in our bodies and we have found that positive charge leads to disease and imbalance. 
And so from a, again, thinking about things as like a battery or just in general, when we go into nature, it actually diffuses our positive ions and puts us back into this neutral state, which is the state that we need. And so we know inherently and cultures have known forever how important it is to be in nature. And we also know from a biochemical and chemical perspective why that's so important. But beyond that, there's so many more benefits. Even just looking at nature has been shown in studies to change people's hormones, their response to surgery. And it's just like amazing what nature does. And so if you're someone like me who has a really hard time not having task, <laughs> what I like to do is when I go into nature is to do like a plant meditation in the sense of just like getting a leaf and just staring at it for 10 minutes, like just the leaf. And that is like insane or a flower and looking at every petal and looking at just really immersing yourself into it and giving yourself that time and space because it's something to focus on while you're training yourself to be mindless. If you can't do that, focus on nature itself in the intricacies of bark or a rock or whatever. And I think that's such a good practice. Oh my gosh. Yes. And then when this baby comes of age and starts to notice the world around them, you won't be so disconnected that you can't like help foster that love for nature. That's one thing I definitely worry about in these these coming generations and all of the technology is that kids don't spend this loving time in nature anymore where they do want to fight and advocate for not destroying the planet in every which way that we are as adults or as humans. I think that looking at the bark is such a great example. There's so much there and we can help foster that with our children in the next generation as well. And I honestly feel too that like the babies in our bellies when we are pregnant are experiencing that in a way through us like they may not exactly have the tangible thought of this is a piece of bark my mom is looking at but they I think that there's an imprint there and uh, it's a wonderful imprint to be giving okay moving on to the joy and nature or joy and laughter aspect and how this relates to stress which is a stress and the mental emotional side of things which we know is a huge component why don't you go ahead and tell us about that yeah so gosh there's just so much here when we talk about stress can come from i'm physically stressed because i'm waking up too early i'm not eating enough i'm like go going all day i'm physically exhausted that's one type of stress There's emotional stress where maybe you're watching the news or you have a toxic relationship in your life or you have a boss that's mean or something like that. And then there's other stress that can come from like lack of joy and lack of purpose and lack of doing what resonates with you. And I see that a lot of times in my patients is, you know, their life isn't necessarily particularly hard, but they experience it as super stressful because They just don't have joy or pleasure in their life. And I think some people who bring more of that joy and pleasure in can maybe handle some of the more rigorous parts of life because some things that are stressful are good, like exercise and movement, or maybe like the stress that comes with planning a vacation or going with your family. There's certain stressors, but when you don't have that joy and that that purpose that your soul is sad and it brings a level of stress that's like beyond. So that's one thing I want to highlight. And just in general, the importance of joy. We're in such an industrial society. We're always working and we're always striving and achieving. And I'm definitely guilty of this because I definitely swing on the more workaholic side of things. And we could dive into all of the reasons for that. There's a lot that we could talk about in another podcast episode, but how important it is to just have joy and doing things for the nature of it just being fun or pleasurable. 
there is no ulterior motive or outcome or work that needs to happen, I think is very important for our soul, for our hormones, for our fertility, and our children feel that and learn it from us. Yeah, and I wanna mention blue zones here. One of the components of the people who live in blue zones, which are those areas of the world that are where there's the highest density of people who live over to 100 years old, one of the main components of that, of why these people are living so long is the sense of belonging and being needed in their communities. They are not just these grandparent type people that are sitting around not doing anything. They are important, integral pieces of the community still. They have a sense of accomplishment. They have a sense of being helpful. And these are things that are like a mental, emotional piece that is so easy to just not think about. But you're so right. Sometimes it's not the, what do we have on top stress? Oh, my work, my job. It's the lack of these things that help balance it and bring it back up. So your cup is full, your cup runneth over. Going to and hanging out with your friends or making a point to, if you really love body work, you budget it out and you get that done or going to a comedy show or instead of, yeah, instead of watching the news or something negative, you're watching like a stand-up comedy show. I already mm-hmm. said comedy, something that's going to actually like really bring you back into that playful, inherently silly, goofy, happy, childlike place because you're built about to make a child. Mm-hmm. So play, and this kind of even brings it back to your leaf meditation. It's like playing in nature, playing, finding some sort of this, like the world doesn't have to be so serious. We've definitely been conned into thinking that it does. What can we do with this energetic vibing high kind of way that we go into parenthood and how, what kind of an impact that can have? So, yeah, yeah, no, I love that. And also just from an energetic perspective, we could dive into the research on like laughter and how it increases immunity and it helps balance our hormones and reduce our stress or what we can talk about with stress. Stress is either you change the situation or you change how you think about it. Mm-hmm. If you're stressed because you have to wake up early and drive in an hour of traffic, could you change your job? Could you change something about your life, change your situation or Are you stressed because of a coworker at work who's triggering a deep emotional wound that you haven't worked on? And can you change the way you think about that to where going to work every day isn't this stressful thing that's weighing on you because you can shift your perspective on it? And so I want to highlight that. And when we talk about the work that needs to be done before pregnancy, these are all important. But I also just want to highlight that energetically, our babies want to know that where they're coming is a good place to be. And if our, if our being is completely inundated with lack of food, lack of joy, completely burning the candles at both ends, feeling burned out, like there's no good in your life. Energetically, what soul would want to come join you there? (laughs) Yeah. And there's a, there is really good research as well about the detrimental effects of stress in a pregnant woman on the fetus. And so it's even more important in that time. And midwife, old midwives will tell you too. I know this is jumping into being pregnant itself, but to, and again, back to ancient cultures, they shield the pregnant women from any of the bad news that's going on in the community, because unless it's directly related to her, it doesn't have any kind of an impact except for negative. And we know how much this is important. So getting a handle on that now in the preconceptive period is really important. Yeah. And that kind of us in, is a nice segue into talking about 
like expectations and then so we're going to talk about expectations and then we're going to talk about toxins and then we'll be done with this podcast so with the expectations of what it is that is again is going to happen to you and your individuality in life and how that's going to shift and change and then with your partner as well if you have a partner how the communication is going to shift your roles your everything and I think a lot of people don't really spend the time to think about that or society kind of paints this very negative picture of parenthood and so people just shut down I find they don't really want to think about it it doesn't have to be negative I would say that you and I both absolutely love being mothers and there's tough times that come upon it of course but that's just because it's like a learning curve and you care so dang much and you want everything to be good but yeah what would you say were some of the things that that helped you in wrapping your mind around what it was going to become what it was going to be like to become a parent Yeah, I think it's really important that we highlight this. We're not only preparing our bodies, but also our minds for, like you said, the expectation of becoming pregnant and then forever having a child after that is going to change your life. It will change your identity. It will change your relationship. It will change how everything, you know, functions in your life. And really one, accepting that, or just not, you have to accept it, but just being aware that it's coming. I think a lot of people are caught off guard once it happens and they're like, I just, I didn't really know. I didn't expect it to be like this. And there's many things we can't know till we go through it. For me, it was interesting because we had an infertility journey for so long. And honestly, like so many people were really negative about parenthood around me. And so I think I was almost like overprepared for a really horrible situation to happen where everyone's like, oh, you'll never sleep again and say goodbye to whatever, like your relationship and you're never going to be happy again. People (laughs) were just so negative and sad. And I wanted to be a mother for so long and for so badly, but I had all of these kind of images in my mind of what it could be. And so I actually did feel prepared for a really scary, stressful situation. (laughs) But then when I actually became pregnant, yes, the pregnancy was tough. I actually wasn't prepared for a hard pregnancy that no one really warned me about. But um, as far as like the, like becoming a mom myself, was the best thing ever. And none of those things were true for me, and the sense of how things are going to shift. But I also had conversations with my husband ahead of time. And these are the things that I see in couples that seem to be thriving. I need to make sure that we prioritize date night. I personally chose not to co-sleep so that I could have that sacred space with my husband. Just different things that I learned from questioning and answering different couples and parents that I personally felt resonated with me. And we were prepared for that going in rather than being blindsided. I had the conversation with my husband that, hey, a lot of men feel really jealous and have a lot of issues after the birth. I need you to just prepare yourself for that. But he hasn't felt that way. And we haven't had those issues, but it was just nice to have the conversation rather than it be the other way around. Yeah. Having the conversations, that's everything. And one thing that my husband actually taught me through the whole process of having babies is that everything is temporary and that even in these hard moments that these people are speaking about out in society and that can be fear-based or like negative about it it's like there are phases and it's temporary but just even having like literally i think one conversation with your partner about okay how are things going to change okay what if we're like really tired and we're getting nippity at each other and i just want to really i don't want to lose our good communication and I and just even expressing that beforehand 
I think helps because everybody realizes that we're actually, you're actually on the same team. It's, you're not mm-hmm. meant to be against each other. And we should actually probably record a whole podcast episode about preparing for having children with your partner specifically because there's so many things that you can do and so many very important topics to talk about in the way that you're going to raise your children and the way that you're going to parent but so for this one though the next big one which i know is your like mass specialty as well specifically is toxins Mm -hmm. so there's two angles with toxins there is removing the toxic exposures that you may be exposed to right now or in the future and then there is actively detoxing your body from the toxic exposures exposures that have already happened. So go ahead and tell us what you think is the most important for people, for the listeners to focus on if they're aiming to get pregnant, what are the heavy hitters and the ones that, that are often overlooked as well? Yeah. So toxins are huge in the sense of how they impact not only your hormones as endocrine disruptors, but also the toxins themselves can damage egg and sperm and can then affect embryos and babies. If you think about things like herbicides and pesticides that are sprayed on food, they're designed to kill living things, bugs and pests and weeds. And so they're not that we are not different. We are all living beings and they impact us as well. So the biggest things to focus on from a reduction perspective are herbicides and pesticides. So choosing to eat organic. If you buy local, making sure that the people that you're buying from are not using herbicides or pesticides and just making sure that you are limiting that exposure. A lot of processed and packaged foods are going to have more of those exposures or things. Look at the dirty dozen and the clean 15 at the ewg.org website. They'll tell you the biggest hitters of produce that are the most toxic laden things like strawberries, apples, These are sprayed a lot almonds. They change every year, but just being aware if you're on a budget of which ones to buy organic and which ones are maybe okay to not buy organic, like maybe avocados or something like that. So organic food for sure. Number one, the second is phthalates. Phthalates are a type of endocrine disruptor that really negatively impact fertility, especially male fertility, but female as well. And they not only impact you and your ability to become pregnant, but they impact the development of your baby once you are pregnant. So we're seeing studies that show that phthalates are impacting baby boys in utero and their reproductive development, as well as females potentially contributing to PCOS. So baby boys are being born now with smaller reproduction and an inability potentially to reproduce that we're now seeing in these later generations because of their exposure. Phthalates are found in products that have fragrance. So if you have sunscreen, shampoo, conditioner, Febreze, scented trash bags, like anything that has a scent, anything that has the word literally fragrance or perfume means it has phthalates in it. So do not buy it. I would just go through all of the products in your house and get rid of anything that has fragrance or scent. Real essential oils are fine, but you have to be careful because some companies will say scented with essential oils, but then on the back, it still says fragrance. That fragrance label is what allows them to put phthalates in it. So that's my first step in looking at different resources to find alternatives. I have a bunch of alternatives on my website, womanhoodwellness.com, the ewg.org has a great resources. And a lot of great companies are coming out with stuff. So phthalates are found in fragrance and soft plastic. Soft plastic are things like baggies, maybe using Tupperware, glass Tupperware instead of baggies or getting some more eco-friendly options for sacks or saying no to plastic bags at the grocery store. Or there's soft plastic shower curtains in your showers. 
opt for hemp or cotton. Don't take hot showers where you have the soft plastic phthalates like off-gassing and you breathe those in all day long because it's these everyday exposures that really add up. And then the second thing to be aware of, really just plastics in general, but some of the chemicals like BPA, even if a product says BPA free, does not mean it doesn't have toxic chemicals that are going to impact you. So basically just don't have plastic, glass Tupperware, glass water bottles, stainless steel, ceramic, anything that is not plastic as much as you possibly can opt for wooden or silicone options, wherever they are. So getting rid of plastic, getting rid of fragrance and avoiding herbicides and pesticides, I would say are three of the biggest hitters of reducing exposure. We could get into a lot more of the nuances of they spray certain fabrics with flame retardant, like it can get really overwhelming. And I don't want to overwhelm you. If you want to dive deeper, we have a lot of resources for that, but those are the top ones to to work on. Yeah. I think that it's important to say that although it sometimes feels, oh, whatever, it's just a little bit here and there, our bodies do a pretty dang good job at keeping us healthy, despite all of the exposures that we do have in this modern life. Like right now I'm sitting in a car. Okay what is this car even made of? Plastic? <laughs> what is everything made of? It's made of plastic and different kinds of plastic. And we, now there's been studies that are coming out that there's microplastics in human blood serum. It's a plastic world out there and it is really concerning and quite scary. I'm, I'm anxious for some sort of advocacy that begins on removing them in mass bulk because it is a very scary thing. So we can only detox out so much efficiently, even given like the perfect circumstances of perfect health. But when other things are stacked up, you're not sleeping very well, you're eating crappy food, you don't have enough nutrients to process through and get your liver to do its job very well, et cetera. You're very stressed. It's just not. And then maybe you're struggling to get pregnant and it would make sense because the body can only do so much. And as you had said at one point that your body has to choose between being stressed or being in a a state of fertility. Mm -hmm. And so being stressed, meaning all sorts, all of the layers of stress of being deplete nutrient wise, or even calories wise, a lot of women just simply don't even eat enough. Mm -hmm. They don't even eat enough food in general. And they're always teetering on this like line of low blood sugar or wild swings. And I mean, there is so much here that we can talk about, but I just have to say that although it feels like, oh my gosh, okay. The fragrance in my deodorant can't be that big of a deal. And it's, you know what? If you know it's there, either use it till it's gone and then never buy it again, or slowly work your way through. And again, this is why we say, start looking at this stuff six to 12 months ahead of time, because yeah, it's not reasonable for everybody to go throw out every single product, but you can cycle through as you Mm -hmm. use things. Don't buy things in the future that are, that you know now are toxic. Yeah. Such a great point. And so Once you have made some efforts to reduce exposure, then you want to support your body in getting rid of what you have been exposed to. And there are some toxins and chemicals that have a really hard time leaving the body. They just don't want to go. Um, But there are certain ones that once you make a change, things like herbicides and pesticides, things like phthalates, for the most part, they do leave your body. Like I said, there's some exceptions. And so some of the things we want to do to support that are opening what we call the amunctories or the ways that things leave the body. So this is making sure that you're pooping every day. And if you're not pooping every day, figure out why. (laughs) Is it fiber? Is it water? Is it a microbiome issue? Dive deeper into that. 
making sure that you're drinking plenty of water, clean water from a non-plastic water bottle so that you're urinating because you need to excrete a lot of chemicals come out through your urine. Sweating, making sure that you're sweating often, whether that's through exercise and movement or even better yet, a sauna or an infrared sauna. Making sure that you're breathing. A lot of people hold their breath and they breathe really shallow, but doing good deep belly breaths really help to exhale toxins out of your breath. And if you don't believe me that toxins leave out of your breath, if you've ever been around someone who's been drinking alcohol, you definitely know that they are excreting toxins out of their breath. And then we want to support our lymph. Our lymph is a system that exists outside of our blood vessels and it helps to get the trash out. Essentially, it's like the trash man and it doesn't move on its own. Weirdly, we have to move our muscles or physically move it to help move it along. So making sure that you have daily movement and exercise in your life and also potentially doing lymph drainage or dry skin brushing or any of these really wonderful lymph practices, jumping on a trampoline is another great practice. And then lastly, supporting our liver. Our liver is a really important part that packages up and gets your toxins ready to be released out of these paths that we just talked about. And so we want to support our liver, especially if you're on birth control before you want to become pregnant. This gets really impacted by birth control. Our liver, our liver does or if you drink a lot of alcohol or have eaten poorly in your life or even had a history of a lot of drinking in college or whatever. So some herbs that are really helpful are things like chlorella, chlorophyll, burdock, dandelion, milk thistle. These are all wonderful herbs that help to support your liver and all of the good eating that you'll be doing that we talked about is another important part. And then glutathione is another really important nutrient to bring in to help with your detox. Awesome. And obviously using these herbs would be best under the supervision of your naturopathic doctor or somebody who is well-trained to help give you the protocols because they, some of them are not safe during pregnancy. So you wouldn't want to continue on. And I think that is a wrap. There's so much more we could go into, but that's just the general overview of the way that doctors like you and I think about this, this very precious, important, often underlooked time period before you get pregnant with your first year, with your babies, all babies again. And we look forward to talking about more of these specific details in the future. Yes. Awesome. Thank you so much, Dr. Morgan. All right. Thank you, Dr. Leah. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Healthy as a Mother podcast. In order for other women to hear this information, please leave a review with Apple Podcasts, subscribe, and send to a friend who could benefit from this content. We're so excited to share more on becoming and being a mother next time. And remember, a healthier future starts now, and it starts with you.